Hey, this is always be watching. You're looking good today. Have you been working out? You've lost some weight. It's lovely to see. Anyway, thanks for joining us. We're going to be here talking about some TV. It's what we do on the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, sit down, you know, pour yourself a drink. We're going to have some TV chat. Uh, my name's Dan. I'm joined here by Chris Yates. G'day, Dan. Hey, Chris. I thought I'd lower things in this week. You know, no high energy intro, just a warm embrace. I like it. Yeah, I think it's been a rough feel in your embrace. It's been a rough week for a lot of us. And by a rough week for a lot of us, I mean, I've been watching a lot of CNN this week. Must have been very traumatic for you. Oh, look, it's not great. It's the plight of the white man watching CNN this week. It's it's, it's rough times. Terrible times indeed. Are you going to play the theme music? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's a podcast where we talk about TV. And we're going to talk about TV right after the theme song. Folks, this is Always Be Watching. We talk about TV. My name's Dan. I'm joined here by Chris Yates. Chris Yates, here's the thing. We've got a whole bunch of exciting shows to talk about, but the thing that I think regular listeners of the Always Be Watching podcast are probably hanging out for, the question that was dangling, that was tantalizing people right at the very end of last <laughs> week's podcast is the quiz that we do each and every week on the show or have been doing for the last four to six weeks is it still going? Because we lost track and we don't know if we had another two weeks or if we were just going to you know, call it quits then. I made an executive decision during the week. Let's just do it for two more weeks. What does it matter? Excellent. We, we don't yeah, answer to anyone. That's a great idea. I'm glad you went along with that. So you've written some questions for me this week, I hope. That's right. Because I haven't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's questions. We're all good. So two more weeks. So this week, I'm going to ask the questions. <sighs> Next week, you're going to ask, or ask the questions and then something will happen. And then there'll be a winner. A prize will be awarded. Excellent. I can't wait to see what my prize will be. (laughs) Anyway, this week is a humdring or a quiz. So strap yourself in. It's going to be amazing. But Chris, before we get to the quiz, we have the business of TV discussions take place. We discuss the shows Mm -hmm. that we've been watching each and every week. Chris, do you want to start off first? Like, are you happy to Certainly do. Can you take the reins? Are you happy to do this? I'm absolutely happy to start off first. This week, Dan, I've been watching the Netflix series Space Force. We need to cancel the launch. No! Senator Shugler, Potosi, and the angry young congresswoman are coming. They need to see a success so we can keep our funding. My idea of success would not be a $6 billion piece of hardware breaking up over Denver. That is not going to happen. Look, I don't like to pull rank, but I order you to postpone the launch. Okay. There's too much moisture in the air. We prefer a less ionized environment. You are a civilian advisor. There are always going to be risks. Conditions are never perfect. They're supposed to be perfect tomorrow. The delegation will be back in Washington tomorrow. You know, Mark, when I hired you... I hired you. I felt your best quality was your ability to listen to good advice. If you've lost that, we may have to look elsewhere. We? Who is this we that you keep talking about? That is above your pay grade. Nothing is above my pay grade at this base. Just postpone the launch, dear. Nope. Now, Chris, to say that this is a highly anticipated show is probably an understatement. So this is Netflix doing a brand new program with Steve Carell returning to TV. He's teamed up with Greg Daniels. He's the guy that co-created The Office in the US. The guy that really built that show up. So to have these two guys back together making a TV show... Big deal. 
They're doing it for Netflix, who've given them a huge amount of money, which they've spent on a very lavish cast and a very lavish set. It's a big budget, huge comedy. Chris, is it any good? Dan, it's excellent. Um, I'm, I'm about eight episodes in. And so I think I've got two to go. And um, look, I'm enjoying it a lot more than uh, I anticipated, really. And I think a lot more than you. Um, I was I'll give say you the... a, a lot more than most people. Because <laughs> let me say, review, you know... reviews and general discussion about the show have not been anywhere near as kind as the opinion that you have of the show. It's got nothing to do with kindness, Dan. It's about appreciating funny things and the great <laughs> things that are done for us for people with without cynicism cynicism and um no i'm a cynical person oh look i don't i can't exactly tell you I, i've been uh, really enjoying it so of course i'll do the little um spiel about how it goes steve carell is a uh lifelong um career air force man who um all of a sudden is called up He's promoted to the highest possible position he can get as a four-star general thinking that he will now be running the um, running the Air Force, where he's he's instead side promoted to be running uh, the president's new Space Force program, as based on the Donald Trump's Space Force uh, program and how that was announced. Of course, Trump isn't referenced specifically in the show, but it's obviously very uh, inspired by that very recent decision. Yeah, they do talk about the president a lot through it, but they don't mention him by name. Yeah, they just don't say Trump, but it's clear who they're talking about. And he's getting texts from him and stuff that are pretty obvious who they're coming from. Um, and so, yes, he works with um, John Malkovich from Being John Malkovich. And he also works with um, Jin Yang from um, Silicon Valley, whose name is... Jimmy Yang. Let, it get, let me get it right. Is Jimmy, that it? You know? Well, Jimmy O. Yang. But yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy O. Yang. He's very, very funny. And, um, yeah, they're all working together to try to get uh, the Americans back on top of the space race, uh, racing furiously with China, who are ahead of them, it seems, every step of the way at this uh, at this part. The rest, I mean, the rest of the cast is ridiculous. So you've got Fred Willard in, in what I guess was his last role. He gets the um, he gets a, mem- a memoriam mention at the start of, I think, the third episode. Well, at the very end of the first episode, it says in memory of Fred Willard. Oh, is it? Yeah. You know, which is great to see him in there, but it's really sad. He's very old and extremely funny still. Lisa Kudrow is uh, Mark's wife who has been put away in jail for a reason that we don't know what it is, even at this late stage of the season I'm up to, but it must it's going to be very funny. Um, Patrick Warburton, he might know as Putty, who I know as Putty. Oh, you know him as The Tick, Dan. Oh, I mean, I know him as Putty. I also know him as the star <laughs> of the hilarious CBS sitcom Rules of Attraction. Rules of Attraction, oh yeah, with David Spade, right? Is David Spade in that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Man, that's Look, a rough the rest- show. Uh, also, a few other cast members to talk about. Ben Schwartz is in there, people that know from Parks and Recreation. Um, Owen Daniels, which is Greg Daniels' son. And if you've seen the most recent Greg Daniels show, Upload, which we were both raving about a couple of weeks ago, Owen Daniels is a regular figure through that and plays a large number of roles, uh, but kind of the same character. Uh, but in this, he's... Um, in a whole bunch of episodes. Uh, who else have you got in here? You've got a whole bunch of faces. A lot of people from Veep that people would probably recognize by face, if not by name. So probably core amongst them is this guy, uh, Dan uh, Buckendahl, I think is how you pronounce his He's name. He's so good. Uh, Jessica St. Clair's in there. Noah Emmerich, uh, Chris Gethard. Uh, Diedrich Bard is in a couple of episodes, also from Veep. 
Jane Lynch is in it. Uh, who else does he? Uh, Apana Nancheria, uh, who's an up-and-coming stand-up that you've probably seen in a whole bunch of TV shows at this point. Uh, Roy Wood Jr., who's another stand-up. Uh, like, that's just a who's who of just funny, interesting people. Yeah, so I can understand expectations are high, but it's a, like it's a really high concept um, idea. And the, you know, there's a lot of big set pieces. Everything's massive. Uh, even the actual, just not the rockets and stuff, but the actual, you know, facilities where everything's in is really, really massive. Um, look, I found it very, very funny and I laughed out loud a lot. And I also enjoyed the, I very much enjoyed the story and I got right into it. I really like how, Carell is playing the, you know, he, he, he is playing this sympathetic, very sympathetic, patriotic, he's making a very patriotic kind of military man character, very sympathetic and still relatable and believable. And you, you can appreciate his frustration at the ridiculous position he's, a bit, he's found himself in uh, and still trying to make the best of it. He's got, you know, the same sort of humane, empathetic uh, aspects to his character that he has, you know, in, in the office as well. And he's very, very good at playing that thin line. Um, I, you know, just most of the show is him and Malkovich riffing off each other, which is just fantastic. Malkovich is such a lovely sort of uh, hippie academic, um, you know, scientist who's very much takes, takes what he's doing very seriously and uh, is very conservative in the face of Steve Carell's bullish, uh, can't we just blow it up kind of attitude. It's really farcical in in moments as well. Like there's some really crazy stuff with the actual space race and the Chinese attempts to sabotage what well, successes at sabotaging the missions and things, which are played out very humorously through like a, a you know there's one where they where Steve Carell and um, John Malkovich are actually watching a, a satellite or the the space station get um, attacked in space buy another Chinese uh, spacecraft while they're sort of, yeah, on the balcony looking at it through an antenna, which is just ludicrous. And there's heaps of funny stuff like that. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I really appreciate that, that level of taking it all very seriously, but still keeping a really farcical element into what is a farcical premise and a ridiculous kind of idea to get people basically living on the moon at this point. You've got to get boots on the ground. Boots on the moon. Boots on the moon is the whole thing. Well, one thing I found really interesting watching it, especially this week, was, um, you know, how kind of like it, even the the horror of, you know, we kind of like we go through such a crazy, we've got through such a crazy ride watching this whole Trump presidency from a, from a background, but this the version of Trump portrayed in the um in the uh, in Space Force is like almost, you know, it's it's, it's just very. It's, it's almost endearing the level of stupidity of this character uh, when you look back on those kind of decisions and that kind of ridiculous stuff that was happening in the light of the events of the past week and America being under siege from itself. So it's, it, it, it reminded me of how quickly time is moving. <laughs> well, it's interesting to sort of talk about the sort of real world aspect of it. There seems to be something very zeitgeisty about um, what's called again Space Force at the moment. There's so many yes. TV shows that are about space exploration and not so much in like the Star Trek way of, you know, people traveling in a starship around some other, you know, universes or planets, whatever. Like that isn't really what's going on, but really just that actual tangible idea of human beings strapping themselves to a rocket, just, you know, engaging in space, like not even exploration, but like just that first stage of really leaving the planet and make sure that we can continue to do this in a safe way. 
So in real life, you've obviously got the big launch that you had in the US. Was it last Saturday? They had the um, SpaceX launch. Elon Musk's yeah. Bob and Doug. His thing going on in partnership with the US government. So you had that happen in real life. But there just seems to be a whole bunch of TV shows that seems to be tapping into that same sort of thing. A few months ago, I was raving about the new Apple TV Plus show, uh, For All Mankind which is yeah. very similar to this, not so much in terms of the comedy aspect, but in terms of the idea of bureaucracy and what it actually takes to mount a space program. And it just kind of feels like these shows just mining very similar materials. Yeah, and um, Avenue 5, which I really liked, which is another one that nobody else has, seems to be enjoying. Um, but that obviously uh, came from, you know, similar place as well. And I, I think what's interesting, yeah, about both of these things, uh, both of those shows, is that they're certainly not, yeah, they're not even really science fiction. They're like 10 minutes ahead of the future or something like that. You know, like Avenue 5 is a little bit further along. But, you know, it's all still, like like you say, absolutely really believable. Yeah, and um doesn't seem like that much of a stretch anyway. I wonder how many episodes you've watched, Dan, and whether you will keep watching it, given your love of The Office, as, Look, as I have. Here's the thing. So I think any comedy takes like four or five episodes to find its groove at least. So look, I'm prepared to throw myself into it. And while I certainly didn't find it particularly that funny, and I kind of thought that the mass budget of the show maybe worked against it a little bit, I kind of yeah, think... I can. The, I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah, the more resources you give comedy, the more you strangle comedy is the way that I've always felt about it. So, I don't yeah. know, it kind of feels like the show is sort of working uphill a little bit. But I'm keen to give it a look, and I'm keen to give it a, what it's called to be a fair shake. So I'm going to watch four or five episodes, see how I'm feeling about it then. If I don't make my way to the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. But also, maybe it'll just grow on me. So we'll see. Because every comedy, it's got characters that you kind of want to latch onto and grow with. Yeah, exactly. And I think... um. You know, I, I mentioned to you uh, earlier in the week that because of, you know, I kind of watched the first episode, well, really late at night, I was falling asleep a bit. Uh, I, was, I was quite drunk and then um, wanted to catch up with the other episodes with my partner. So I watched the first two and I'd probably only watched about one and a little bit of the second one. So I watched the first two again with her and I really, really enjoyed them the second time a lot more kind of being at, being less concerned with trying to keep you know, up with what's going on. Not that it's a complicated story, but just actually enjoying what was happening as opposed to um, following the story. And I found it, yeah, incredibly enjoyable. So I think it's going to be rewatchable and stuff. And I really think that uh, by the time it gets to the second season, it's going to have a bit of, it's going to be in an opportunity, in a position to have a lot more fun with the characters, I think. Indeed. Ben Schwartz is, is just awesome in it. I think that, I, he really surprised me. Like I find him grating at times. I mean, he's that's kind of his deal. Is to be really annoying, but I really, really enjoyed him. Um, Here's the thing. So I've always found him to be kind of grating, and I saw him in Parks and Rec, and he's great as that character, uh, Jean Raffio, but I'm yeah. not, I just haven't really enjoyed him much in like other appearances I've seen of him around the place. But I heard him doing the Mark Maron interview a couple of weeks ago, and he was fantastic. He just seemed like this really lovely, genuine dude, who clearly his yeah, shtick right. is like being that guy, but... Just as a person, like he just seems to be so um, charismatic and personable. So I've kind of really come around on all things Ben Schwartz. Yeah, he's fantastic. And yeah. um, the other, like, yeah, Jimmy O. Yang, like they really, he got, he got a great run towards the end of Silicon Valley. But I think he's just, he's he's really, really funny in this. And his relationship with um, uh, the pilot whose name... Is, is that Jessica St. Clair? No. No, no, no. Uh, it's a new actress. I think this might be her first role in something. 
Oh, really? She's fantastic anyway. Um, that's probably why her name's not higher in the... Yeah. But anyway, Chris... Say, Tawny, Tawny Newsom, sorry. Yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah, really, really enjoyed her. And her relationship with Jimmy O. Yang is hilarious and excellent and enjoying watching that happen too. But anyway, so yeah. you, you can see this one on Netflix? Space Force on Netflix, 10 episodes. Uh, it's... It was only, yeah, it's only been up there a little while, hasn't it? It's only been up there a few days. Yeah, yeah. so as we talk, I think it's been up there now for all of five days. Mm. Yeah. How unlike me to get onto something so early. Yeah, you're You must hip. be proud. Yeah, you're on the bleeding edge, my friend. Hey, I want to talk, <laughs> I want to take ourselves from Space Force to Spaceship Earth. People started showing up, wanting to see everything, and they wanted tours. You know, they'd heard about this amazing place. So we set up a visitor center. We're hoping that that would pay for a great deal of it, um, which it didn't. Hello. Where do we get the T-shirts? What, what we're upset is that there's no multiculturalism inside. Yes, I would like yeah, to know. Baby. I would like to know what a young black woman from Brooklyn would do in the biosphere, huh? Okay, so Chris, do you remember a fantastic film from I'm going to say 1996 called Biodome, starring one Paulie Shaw? Well, sure, and wasn't Kylie Minogue in Biodome as well? I believe that might be correct. I've never actually seen the movie. It looked like trash, <laughs> and I've got no intention to ever give it a go. Oh, Dan, why are you afraid to have fun? Oh, see, because I saw Encino Man, and after that, I'm like, well, what else? Well, I saw Encino Man and Son-in-Law, and after that, it's like, what does Paulie Shaw have to do now? Like, he can't go up any higher. It could only How go could down. this get better? Yeah, yeah. so Fair I just thought, let's just leave it on high. So... The movie Biodome is effectively based on this real life thing that happened. And like, I kind of knew that there'd been like a real life, like biosphere, but I didn't really sort of think it really actually happened. Like it, it was a thing that was like pre like me being sort of aware of things that were happening in the world really. And if something's like before me, like, does it really matter? And exactly. I say no. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, in 1991, in those house salon times, there was the launch of Biosphere 2. Now you might be wondering... What's Biosphere 1? Biosphere 1, Chris, is Earth. Ah. But Biosphere 2 right. is a large facility built with the idea that a group of eight scientists would walk into what's effectively like a large... Uh, it's not conservatorium. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's, you, you know these large domes where there's lots of plants and butterflies and stuff in it? There's a yeah. word for it. Yeah. Anyway, one of those. But anyway, it was like a large facility with all sorts of buildings that are kind of connected. And within this, there was like large, uh, like plant sort of areas. There was uh, food that they were growing internally within there. There was animals. There was like areas where you could go like diving in there. So there's a lot of water. There's live animals being taken in. The idea of it was to recreate as much of an earth experience as possible while sealed into this building for two years. The idea would be that everything in there is completely self-sustainable, that there's no oxygen being pumped in, that there's no external influence really affecting the day-to-day -day lives of these people in there. And essentially it was to try to it was part of a 100-year project. And the idea would be that they can learn how mankind can survive if we then start colonizing other planets and create very similar types of environments elsewhere away from the Earth. So if we've got this training that we've done on Earth, then you know that's applicable to take it elsewhere. That's a really fascinating idea as a documentary. And as the documentary explores, it wasn't necessarily the eight scientists who came up with the idea for the biosphere. Really, it actually came, the origins of this was from a group of hippies that came together in San Francisco in the early 70s. 
And so they got together. They created a commune at one point. They built a giant boat and traveled the world. Like they had adventures and were like living very rich, full lives as weird hippie freaks. So they had very specific ideas about the world, but they're also ecologists and were really concerned about things like global warming. So they're kind of ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. So all of this um, like life experience led them to eventually try fun well, getting funding and create this biosphere too. So you've got that happening. That's very interesting. You've got the eight scientists that go in who are, some of them are couples, some of them are just there by themselves. So there's interesting personal dynamics within there. You've got the outside world where you've got the media who start getting really critical of Biosphere 2 because they're saying, hey, look, your original idea was that people go into the biosphere and they're locked off from the world, but you've actually defeated the idea of this because you actually have external stuff coming in here because they were pumping in a certain amount of oxygen in there and there was other like aspects taking place. Right. So like they've kind of betrayed the sort of um, the purity of what the idea was. And then you've also got just general media attention around it as well. There's a clip at one point, which is uh, Rue McClanahan, and she's doing like a presentation from outside the biosphere. So, you know, suddenly my eyes, my ears pricked up. Yeah, how did, you, how did you not leave with that? No, well, I mean, I really should have. So like there's outside interest in it. Um, at the end, it all comes crushing to a like complete halt because the people, the, all the criticism of it got to the people who were funding it. They didn't want to do it anymore. They brought in their Wall Street guys. One Steve Bannon makes an appearance in the documentary right towards the end. So like there are so many interesting facets of the documentary. And I'm asking the question, why is it so unwatchable? <laughs> right. There's all these interesting aspects of it, but it almost seems like the documentarian whose name I haven't cared to write down it almost seems like he was too afraid to make choices and really sort of just like burrow in. So first of all, you got the hippies who originally created this. If you just focus purely on a story of the hippies and talk about their life story and how this is probably the like crowning achievement, the biggest thing that they actually achieved, despite the fact that it achieved many things, including the building of this giant boat at one point, which they traveled the world on. You could really just sort of focus on one or two of those hippies, talk about their life story, like what it was, how they actually felt about engaging in a lot of these things, talk about their emotions, yeah, right. talk about their humanity. Like there's interesting aspects to that. They don't do that in that. You've got some talking heads, but that's as far as it really goes. And they're like, oh, you know, we did this and we did that. But you don't really get a full, like a real sense for like their day-to-day -day, like relationships and what it meant to them sure. and how like that shifted and grew and like deepened and lessened over the years. There's just none of that. Uh, the actual biosphere too. You've got eight scientists who go in there. A couple of them are couples, a couple of them are singles. That's interesting in terms of a dynamics thing. You're stuck in this like building for two years together. What does that mean? There's humanity in there. There's, you know, there's going to be fights. There's going to be arguments. There's struggles taking place. Like actually talk about what it meant. Like what, how did they feel during all of this? And it just doesn't really explore that at all. And then you could maybe just focus on why were the media so upset about this biosphere too? What was the biases actually explore that? But they don't really do that at all. And then suddenly Steve Bannon appears at the end. And I didn't really understand how it got from point A to point C. And it was just a bit of a jumbled mess. And it's not confusing while you're watching it, but like there's just no points at any like stage through the documentary where it's like, here's the bit that you grab onto and hold on to this because we're going to go around this point and bring you back to that sort of core idea that we really want to talk about here. There's no core ideas. It just kind of meanders around a place. You should have just watched episode seven, I think it is, of Space Force where Steve <laughs> Carell is in a biodome type situation to test the um, the accommodation that they're going to be using on the moon. In another uh, regular segment I'm going to start doing on the um, show, I'm going to read a part of the IMDb 
top user review from 17th of May this year, who uh, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but ba- paraphrase, but basically they're suggesting that the director should learn how to not make a boring movie. <laughs> so maybe that's something to take him that, that, that the director, Matt actually, Wolf. Matt Wolf. Okay. So I actually think that's unfair to the movie because I don't think it's boring at any point, <laughs> but it's not particularly engaging either. And it's just purely because there's no choices made throughout this. Like, he doesn't feel like he's willing to say, hey, look, I've got all this interesting material. I'm going to push that to the side, and that can be background to the core story I want to tell. Because there's definitely interesting characters to follow through this, but he doesn't follow any of those characters. That said, I still think people should check this out, because, look, I've never seen the story being told before. I don't know anything particularly about the Biosphere 2 project. And I could probably read up some Wikipedia articles and get the same experience as what this documentary is offering. That said, there is some gorgeous looking footage in here. As a production, like, it is really schmick looking. Like, it is a fantastic looking doco. It's just, I think some of the editorial choices in it aren't quite what they could have been. But I definitely feel like I'm a better person for having watched it. And I feel a little bit more learned about something which I just had no contact with previously. And if that's the hallmarks of a good documentary, then I guess this is a good documentary. But it's not a great documentary. And that's maybe what was a bit disappointing about it. Yeah, because it's a great premise and a great story. It is such Uh, an amazing premise. Like, it is such a fascinating idea. But anyway, Chris, if you want to check it out, you can find a streaming in Australia on DocPlay, which is a documentary-based streaming service. And in the US, you can find it on Hulu. Okay, so Chris, we've gone through the depths of space. We've talked about aspirational space. Let's kick things Earth-style. Let's go something a little bit more realistic with a brand new animated series that you want to talk about. <laughs> if you're going to do a TV show based on planet Earth, what's the likelihood of the city you're going to pick to do it in, Dan? Well, look, you'd want the city to be a character. Yes. Um, yet another television show based in New York City. We, uh, I have been watching Central Park. I love mornings in the park, the light through the trees, the birds and the squirrels. It's Central Park. It's a haven. It's a jewel. Sir, do not treat a statue. I love Hot Lips Turtle Head Day. More than graffiti removal week? Oh, I do love that. I should get going. Who's my special boy? Me. Look at you. You are my special boy. Too bad you can't just stick him back up there, huh? What? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, so Central uh, Central Park, you will know, Dan, is the brainchild of um, Lauren Bouchard from who created uh, Bob's Burgers, uh, Nora Smith, who I don't know who that is, and Josh Gad, one of my uh, my absolute favourite, and yours too, um, Dan, that people will know better as the voice of Olaf the uh, Snowman in Frozen, which I've seen thousands if not hundreds of times, Dan. Words Thousands. Can, words cannot express how much I dislike Josh Gad as a screen presence. <laughs> we'll get into that. and well, Let's do a whole other episode of that, and, of that some other day. And here's the thing. I'm sure he's a lovely person. I'm sure that if the two of us sat down and had a beer together, I'd probably have a great time with him. But every time he appears on the screen, oh, my blood boils, Chris. My blood. <laughs> he reminds me of you a bit in some ways, Dan. Anyway... Um, and it also uh, stars uh, Titus Burgess, who is from uh, the Kimmy Schmidt show. Um, Titus Andronicus is his name on that. And um, Kristen Bell is the the lead, I guess. Um, look, 
it's very funny. I guess the question, the thing I went in, the thing that I th- couldn't help thinking when I went into this was, am I going to enjoy Bob's Burgers if it doesn't have Bob in it? And by Bob, I mean H. John Benjamin, of course, the world's greatest, the greatest voice actor of our generation. So H. John Benjamin, uh, we're talking about um, Benjamin from Dr. Cat's Professional Therapist. We're talking about Archer from the animated series Archer. We're talking about Bob from the aforementioned Bob's Burgers. He was in, um, he was in the Ben Stiller uh the, the short-lived Ben Stiller sketch show. Do you remember? What was that called? Was it called the Ben Stiller show? It's called the Ben Stiller show. Yeah. Um, which I was so shocked to see what he looked like in that, which was very funny. Uh, home Movies is another one. He's in Home Movies. He does a voice in Home that's Movies. That's right. He's like the coach. Coach. That's right. Anyway, fantastic guy. Basically, anything this guy says is hilarious. Uh, it's disappointing when you see him in real life because he just looks like a regular person and not like this enigmatic kind of disembodied voice that you imagine from his magnificent voice. Uh, but anyway, the answer I think is yes. I've only watched a couple of episodes and it was absolutely delightful. It's very funny. And it also, uh, you know, it, it's not just a straight up sitcom in Bob's. It's got this very weird musical element to it where a lot of the characters, are, the characters are constantly breaking into dramatic songs and at first I found that jarring, but I was quite swept away in it by the end. You know, I'm a bit of a sucker for a cartoon, so I was always going to give this a shot. But yes, it was a very enjoyable uh, little run for the first couple of episodes. And I found no trouble whatsoever getting straight into it. Would it be better if Bob was in it? Yes, but <laughs> he's not in it. So let's just, we'll make do with what we can. Look, I watched, I think, the first 10 minutes of episode one, and I just decided immediately it wasn't for me. That said, <laughs> that said, if it was on TV and I just happened to be in the room wandering past, I could easily see myself falling back into this show. But for me actually sitting down wanting to dedicate myself to the show, I, I just wasn't feeling it. And I think the first of the first 10 minutes, at least six minutes of that must have been um, Josh Gad uh, singing. Olaf singing. <laughs> so I can understand how that might have put you up. There's a rather long setup to the whole thing. It's it's basically the story of the, the caretaker who lives in the middle of Central Park and um, his uh, son and daughter and his wife, who is a, a journalist for a, a small uh, publication who's trying to crack some big news stories. And then the various people who want to uh, destroy <laughs> destroy Central Park for their own uh, financial gains. So yeah, there's like a very wealthy woman who lives off the side of the park. That seems to be the antagonist for the series. I'll get into it a little bit more later, but I think we watched... I watched like four new television shows this week and they were all set in New York. And so by the end of this one, I was just a bit like, oh. And then, as you'd say, the long-running CNN program that's been on 24 hours a day for the last week, uh, that's also a lot of that's set in New York as well. So just kind of like really feel, you know, that idea that it'd be really nice to see some stories being told in some other cities. But I can understand the allure and the appeal of setting everything in the international city, the world city. Indeed. Uh, about, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Central Park, this is on Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. Yeah. You know, geez. Yeah. Definitely uh, one of the better offerings on that at the moment, which are mostly terrible. Here's Except the thing. The, the only ones I like are the ones that everyone hates. I think the show started out fairly, well, the service started out fairly strong, like show after show, even if they weren't sort of amazing programs, they're at least a little bit interesting. But after that initial batch, it's been some pretty rough running on it. Yeah, it's interesting to see how that will bail out. So anyway, but yes, if you're a fan of Bob's Burgers, you're definitely going to watch this and check it out. If you like musicals, you're going to like it. If you if you love Josh Gad as much as I do, you're going to love it even more. Oh, God. 
<laughs> Dan, have you got another show for us? Look, here's the I thing. I hope it's what I think it is. You wanted some diversity. You wanted a show that isn't set in New York City. And look, boy, have I got something for you. I have the brand new Anna Kendrick TV comedy, the New York set, Love Life. Darby had no idea where she was. And she was so nervous that this young man would find out she'd been lying that she took an anxiety poo in his family's yard. When Darby moved to New York for university, she imagined she'd become a cosmopolitan woman. In reality, it was fun, but slightly empty. I am a huge sucker for a half-hour comedy drama. I like single-camera stuff. Give me some single people in New York City just living some life. I'm totally there for the half hour. Love life, I have to say. Look, there's there's a sequence in it where the two, like the Anna Kendrick character and her housemate, the two of them go to a party on a rooftop somewhere in Brooklyn. And as they're going up to the top, uh, there's a comment made about how there's all these basic girls up there. And the irony of that is that this could not be the most basic TV show. It is unbelievably basic. I, I can't, exceptionally yeah, I think basic. that's a perfect way to describe it. So the entire, have you seen it, Chris? I watched the first episode, yeah. Yeah, like it is exceptionally basic. And I will say of the three episodes that are out so far, the first is probably the least engaging of the three. But even so, like it doesn't really pick up that much from that point Oof. going forward. It's essentially about a single woman in New York City uh, with a fairly dull housemate, uh, her fairly dull, like her housemate's fairly dull fiance, long-term boyfriend, whatever he is. <laughs> it's about a woman going through relationship after relationship, how she's going through different phases of her life, how that relationship is reflected by that uh, era of her life and so forth. Man, it is such a struggle. Like, I, I really wanted to like this program. I expect, <laughs> I didn't expect it to be great by any means, but I kind of thought this will be perfectly charming enough. But, like, it certainly isn't charming enough. Like, it just doesn't really get over the line at all. No. I watched this just so that I could spar with you about it because I knew you had watched it and I, um, I, I, I assumed um, going into it that it was going to be the kind of thing that you would like. Uh, so I went in trying to hate it, but I didn't have to try very hard, to be honest. It was very... Uh, I mean, hating it's a strong word. It's just... There's just so little going on. Like it kind of, I enjoy low stakes stuff and I like relationship stuff and I especially like a bit of, you know, will they, won't they. But but you're actually even robbed of that because, you know, I, I was disappointed even at the point where I realized, all oh, right, it's going to be a different person each, you know, it's going to be a different guy each week and it's going to be about how this doesn't work. And like, I don't even know how you're supposed to kind of give a shit about that look here's the thing so because every episode as she enters these relationships she's entering relationships with different types of guys who are going through different things in their life so i think the overall idea of this is supposed to be a little bit like say like high maintenance which high maintenance is a series which is an anthology show but all these sort of disparate stories are held together by this one weed dealer who crops in seldom a bit of weed every episode and then ducks out Sometimes that guy's in the episode, a lot other times he's barely even in it. He might be like in a scene and that's about it. And I kind of thought they were going for something similar to that, where you're seeing all these guys' lives as sort of through the eyes of this woman who's entered a relationship with each of them. And so she's experiencing their world, their characteristics and what defines them through her relationship and the baggage that she's brought from the previous relationships and previous people she's known into that. And that's kind of interesting as an idea. 
but they don't really do that at all. It's really just, <laughs> she meets a guy, you know, you kind of find out a little bit about him and it's sort of, there's some reflected glow where they sort of leave an imprint on her to a certain degree, but like none of the characters are particularly that interesting. And I just keep coming back to that scene where they're going onto the rooftop and she's like, oh, the girls up here are so basic. And it's like, well, you're exceptionally basic. This entire show is exceptionally basic. There is nothing interesting or substantive taking place here. It is the spaceship could... earth of TV rom-coms. <laughs> Well, you didn't even get to know what, like, I don't even, you didn't really learn anything at all about um, her love interest until the kind of conversation where they were breaking up, where he told her that he was, had to move town or whatever. And I was just kind of like, oh, right. Well, that could have been mildly interesting if we had to, had have known a little bit more about that. It's like, it's been written by somebody who's had these very bored, you know, very like what I would say are very kind of basic experiences in life. And has thought, oh, this would make a great show. And it's just like, you know what? It just doesn't. Yeah. It's boring. <laughs> like, I don't see. I don't think it's boring. Like, I actually found it to be kind of watchable, but it's not really engagingly watchable. It's just I almost fell odd. asleep just hearing that. Just hearing that uh, quote again. I was just like, oh god! And that that narration is just so like. It, it, it's like the narration from those. Um, uh, what's his name? The guy that made Blackout. All those. All those British. Uh, horrible feel-good comedy movies yeah, that, um, are, that, are, that are massively huge. Tony Curtis? Uh, Richard Curtis. Richard Curtis. Where it has this just like, it's kind of like trying to be self-aware of its quirkiness, but it's only, you know, the only reason it's quirky is because of this sort of self-aware quirky narration. Yeah. Like that's the thing. You might actually be onto something with the Richard Curtis of it all because you've got Leslie Manville doing that narration over the top and for something which is a quintessential like New York story where this woman is, at least as far as the first three episodes are concerned, she's in New York City. She's engaging in New York life where she's meeting all these people from different walks of life and she's engaging in like that sort of New York dating experience. <laughs> Like, why is there a, like, quaint old British woman? And, like, Leslie Manville's not that old, but why is there, like, a quaint sort of older British lady narrating this program, if only to sound like a Richard Curtis production? Like, it's not authentic to what this is. No, I didn't think so at all. I, and it's a shame. Like, Anna Kendrick's obviously very enjoyable. She's she's quite a, um, you know, she's, she's fun to watch. And the other characters weren't, yeah, bad either. But, geez, there's just nothing going on. Like, I compare this to, like, the last Anna Kendrick thing I saw, which I talked about on this pod a couple of weeks ago, her appearing in the show Dummy, where she had uh, found her partner's sex doll was talking to her. And that yes. was an exploration about how uh, women, well, this particular woman, but it's sort of talking for, like, all women, how they sort of see themselves through, like, their relationships and uh, the dummy was telling some very sort of honest truths about her as a person and how she approaches relationships. Like there was something just very relatable and interesting about that. Just textually, there was something magical happening with that short Quibi series. All right. Well, bad news to, um, I can't even remember what it's called. Love affair, love, love story. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think it's deserving of a, but also like, it's not something I want to be that enthused about either. I, I'll still watch them all, but I'm just, you know, I don't think it does. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like I'm in. I'm kind yeah, of invested in her, even though there's not that much to invest in. I certainly am not. You're on your own there, Dan, but that's okay. All right, let's Fine. get to this. Let's get to this quiz. I can't wait anymore. Okay, Chris. We've gone through this quiz now for how many weeks? Maybe six? And seven, 12? Seven, 12, 15 weeks. And through all that time, we haven't had an intro. And you know what? Oh, you've got a theme. This week it changes. <laughs>
Now, Chris, YouTube tells me that is the sale of the century theme from 1984 through 1985. There were big sale of century years for me. I recognize it instantly. Is that the first question? But I, I know I didn't answer it. No, sadly, it is agreeing. not. Now, each week on the quiz and people unfamiliar with what we do here, uh, we're doing a very casual quiz at the end of the show. Each week, we just choose a theme. There's no real rhyme or reason as to why we've chosen the themes. Uh, Chris, what's the theme that you've chosen so far that you're most proud of? Uh, I liked dogs in TV. That was a good one. That was pretty good. And uh, and last week I was surprised to see um, you flounder at the very <sighs> basic Norm Macdonald questions I threw at you. Uh, kind we- of had to hand your Norm Macdonald fan club badge back in at the Norm Macdonald fan club headquarters, which I happen to be the leader of. I kind of feel that if the two of us went to Norm Macdonald and said, hey, look, <laughs> look, we both enjoy your work. Chris here, he knows everything about your work. He can answer all the most minute <laughs> trivia. Dan here... You know, he knows you were in a movie called Dirty Work. You know which one he would respect more? <laughs> you know. We both like Chevy Chase. He'd love us. We'd get all great with Norm. I think we would. Uh, I'm not as much into gambling as he is. So that might be the dividing line. Yeah, we'd have to just fake our way through all the sports stuff, which I imagine would take up quite a bit of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, man, brutal. Let's not go down that path. But Chris, okay. this week, because I thought this is the last time that I'm doing a quiz selection, because I think we're going to wind this down after two weeks and then maybe do something else with the quiz. But I thought, look, it's me, I'm Dan Barra, I like media, I'm doing a media-themed TV quiz. So every question here is about a TV show which takes place within the media. Okay, so for example, and I'm just trying to choose a show that isn't reflected here on the quiz, uh, the popular 1993 sitcom from the UK, Drop the Dead Donkey, was set in a newspaper, I think. I never watched the show. But, you know, that could be part of the quiz because it was in a newspaper. Okay. I'm into it. And I'm going to start with, you know, we're going to ease in. You know, consider this the warm bathtub of quiz. Okay. Chris Yates, for one point, what was the name of the current affairs show in the TV show Frontline? Frontline. Chris, you get yourself a point. Yeah. Yeah. Where's my applause? Uh, Have you got some applause there? I'm on a different part of my soundboard. Sorry, you need some applause. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay, Chris. Much better. Here we go. What Simpsons character was a villain on the 1966 series of Batman and what was their character's name? Now, that may sound like a very confusing question, but it makes perfect sense when I tell you who the character was. What Simpsons character was a villain in Batman? Yeah, in the classic Adam West, Burt Ward Batman. 20 years, it's prior. Um, And it's got to be... There's no media in it so far, so it's got to be media related. I'm trying to suppose my way out of this one, dude. <laughs> the... Also, I'd like to point out, not only do you need to name the Simpsons character, but you also need to know the character they played on Batman. No, this is a trick question. I'm really going to need some sound here, which is a ticking down. Zero. Trick question. There was no such character. Incorrect. The character <laughs> is the presenter on the local television station, Krusty the Clown. So apparently Krusty has been in entertainment business for so long that he was in the 1960s Batman TV show. Oh, okay. And within that, he played the character of Clownface, who was the painted Pagalachi of Perfidy. All right. Yep. Krusty the Clown was Clownface on the old Batman show. Okay, Chris. Stephen Keaton, the patriarch from the popular 80s sitcom Family Ties, worked in the media. What was his job? He worked for uh, public radio, NPR. Uh no, I can't take it, Chris. What? I can't do it. You've got it wrong. That's, that's definitely true. No, it's not. What was it? Public television. 
Well, yeah, but you already said public radio, so I'm not going to give you the credit. <laughs> Fair enough. He was the station manager of WKS, which was their local PBS affiliate. And you may oh, remember there Christ. was always there was always jokes in the show about how the kids were upset they couldn't have cable television because uh, Stephen didn't believe in it as a true public television guy. <laughs> right. Fair enough. That makes sense. Well, I'm glad I was in the right uh, sector. Yeah. Sorry, Chris, but no point. <laughs> okay, Chris. Okay. Like, strap yourself in. We've got some magic here. Frank Fontana was an investigative reporter for which magazine news show? Murphy Brown. Yeah, but what was the magazine news show? Uh, <laughs> um, so the show that Murphy Brown was on. And Frank Fontana. Well. Was, was Murphy Brown was a reporter too, or was she like the producer or something? No, she was a reporter too on the show. Yeah, so the and is it the same show? So the host of the show was Jim Dial. And then yeah. you had various other segments on the program. So she used to do the hard-hitting political stories, and she'd always do the feature interview on the program. But then you'd have an investigative story from Frank Fontana. And then there was always a light and fluffy oh. story from Kirky Shaw, Corky Sherwood. Damn, I would have thought that. And then I later would, she got married with... to a guy with a surname Forrest and she became Corky Sherwood yes. Forrest. Um, no, I can't remember the name of the Murphy Brown show. Damn. Okay. The show is FYI. Well, yeah, I wouldn't have got that. Uh, is Murphy Brown any good? Uh, look. You know what? We can probably answer that. We have a sound clip. Hey, 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 I'm an Italian-American, and I was offended by what that guy just said. <laughs> also offended by people who think just because you're Italian, you're in the mafia. Uh, <clears throat> sir, as someone with the last name Fontana, I can sympathize with what you're saying, but I think the point Murphy is... Every Italian in the movies is in the mafia. Every joke about an Italian is a mafia joke. Now, why should Italians have to put up with that? When everybody knows it's those crazy Sicilians behind the mafia. <laughs> Excuse me, but my family is Sicilian. And you know what I'm talking about. Let me tell you, Chris, that's about as funny as Murphy Brown ever got. <laughs> uh, my Sicilian partner would be very offended by that, and she would probably try to write Murphy Brown a letter, despite <laughs> it being a fictional show and many and very old. What was the name of the newspaper from the TV show Press Gang? The Something Gazette. Yes. Can you do it? Oh. Uh, Oh, am I right? Oh, was it named after the school? No. The... It wasn't named after the school. No, the... it's named after the premise of the series to a certain degree. That wasn't the best clue to no. give you, but it's true. No, 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 I don't know. I'm glad I got half. I'm, I'm still proud of myself, even though I'm failing dismally, Dan, yeah, for well, getting you... halfway there with those of these. Well, you got the simple frontline question. Uh, the name of the paper <laughs> was the Junior Gazette. The Junior Gazette. Very good. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was good. I, I was... Took a little while to get to a press gang, a little bit longer to get to a press gang question than I was imagining. And maybe there's another. Look, maybe. Stripe yourself in. Okay. Question six. Darren McGavin played a newspaper reporter in this 1972 TV movie and 1974 TV series. Uh, could you repeat the question, please, Dan? Okay. Darren McGavin. He played a newspaper mm -hmm. reporter in a 1972 TV movie and the subsequent 1974 TV series. Was the TV series popular? Okay, so the movie was exceptionally popular. So it aired on the US ABC network. It got, I think it was like a um, 33 rating. Like it, was, it did remarkably wow. well. And then the TV series came and I'll say the TV show lasted one season. Oh. But it is a beloved and well-remembered show, if only for the shows that it inspired. Oh. Nah, I, nah, damn, I don't know. 
Okay, it's a show called Kolchak the Night Stalker. Oh, Kolchak. I didn't say there was a TV movie. I'm yeah. going to put that on my list. So the movie was called The Night Stalker. And then, so he played Carl Kolchak. And then when the series started, it was called Kolchak the Night Stalker, which I think is such a great Man. name for a show. Such a great name. Okay, Chris, I've got a three-part question. And I'm only, oh, giving, you one, I'm only giving you one point. So you've got to get all three right. Okay. Okay. Which shows do these radio call signs belong to? <laughs> That's right. Okay, WNYX. News radio. Correct. And also, Chris, for the joy of that, you get to hear a clip. What's up, y'all? Brother Bill McNeil in your ears. Up, y'all? What's up, y'all? Bill McNeil here. Bill. Hey, Catherine, let me ask you. Would you read Whiz Up as an upbeat, cheery salutation or more of a low, whispered greeting among intimates like Whiz Up? <laughs> What are you talking about? Well, I'm doing these live ads for a new sponsor. And, oh, oops, time to start. What's up, y'all? Bill McNeil saying there's a party all up in here and you need to get with the flow. Oh, yeah, Rocket Fuel Malt Liquor's got the heavyweight power. Whether you got the e to rip it up to some fat booty beats. Or just chill with the honeys. So get on the rocket and see the stars. Rocket fuel malt liquor. Damn! Well? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Billy D. Williams, watch out. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Indeed. Phil. Uh, Phil Harmon died 22 years ago this last week. Oh, how sad. 22 years. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, don't you feel old now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next and one. And stupid. Okay, I've got, so I've only got one out of three. I've got a third of a point so far. That well, you I don't, don't even, even get have that. You get, get the, the point thing. if you get all three. It's, it's not too complicated. WKRP. Um, WKRP is from, ah, oh, it's Frasier. No, 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 no. Oh, it, uh, is Frasier the answer to the third one? No. no. Uh, but I, I almost included Frasier in this, but I chose against it. I knew it's, I, it's a gag, right? Because it's crap. Um, no, don't I mean, know, Dave. yes, That's it is crap, question. and yes, it is a gag, but not for that reason. <laughs> um, all right, what about can I can I give you the call sign again? Yeah, and don't think too much about it. WKRP, okay, if you don't get don't it now, know. you're not going to get it. Why would I get it just because you said it exactly the same way a second time? I just wanted you to think about the fact I was saying WKRP. <laughs> Because the show is called okay. WKRP and in Cincinnati. Oh, I, I don't know. what I've never heard of that show. It is one of the best known sitcoms from like the late 70s, early 80s. It, it very much falls into the um, taxi night court sort of style of TV comedy. Ah. Created by Hugh Wilson, the internet says. That famous TV creator, Hugh Wilson. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, if you're going to say, if you're going to badmouth Hugh Wilson, look at what else <laughs> Hugh Wilson has done. I'm going to give you a moment to take a look at his IMDb there, my friend. No, no, let's just keep going. We, you, can, you can lord it over me later. Okay, so the third one better be um, KBBL, because that's the only other one I know. What's KBBL? K-Babel on The Simpsons. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Um, 102.5. Okay, final one, K-Bear. Oh, yeah, that's very familiar. Um, give me another clue. Uh, maybe regional radio? Ah, uh, that's good. Northern Exposure. 
It's an old legend that on Christmas Eve at midnight, all the animals fall to their knees and speak, praising the newborn Jesus. Back in the winter of 69, my dad was serving a short time for a DUI, and I don't know where my mom was. Anyway, I was home alone Christmas Eve, and I stayed up extra kind of late to see if my dog Buddy would talk, and he did. I don't remember his exact words, but that's not important. What, what matters is that a seven-year-old boy experienced his own personal epiphany. What's my point? Well, it's that Christmas reveals itself to us each in a personal way, be it secular or sacred, whatever Christmas is. And it's many things to many people. We all own a piece of it. It's like, well, it's kind of like Santa's bag. Inside, there's a gift for everybody. Now, Chris, like all Northern Exposure fans, you often live your life thinking, why can't I hear a host that's like Chris in the morning? But I also kind of feel that if there was a real-life Chris in the morning, I don't think I'd ever listen to the show. <laughs> Chris in the morning inspired me to want to be a radio person for a while. And I love that show. I haven't watched that in a long time either. I reckon it totally holds up. Mm, I have heard that. Okay, do we have any questions, any answers left? Okay. Any left? Well, you didn't get your point there because you missed out on the WKRP in Cincinnati. Okay, here's a question. And I'm sure you're going to get this one. What is the connection between MC Hammer and the sitcom Home Improvement? Okay, MC Hammer and Home Improvement. Um, I'm going to say that MC Hammer was in an episode of Home Improvement. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> Let me go a bit further than that. Um, maybe MC Hammer's in... Uh, Toy Story. No, I don't know, Dan. Okay, so what was the name of the fictional show within Home Improvement? Tool Time. Tool Time. So you can start to do the math here. Okay, basically, the original proposal, like the proposed title for Home Improvement was going to be called Hammer Time because it was a bit of a play on the catchphrase, <laughs> that the MC Hammer catchphrase, but also because it's like a fix-it show within the program. And this is like the early sort of era where they were just like formulating the idea for the program. But originally it was going to be called Hammer Time. And then, you know, by the time that the network came on board and they got Tim Allen in there and all that, they changed the Home Improvement. And, you know, it became the show that everyone came to love afterwards. <laughs> um, Tim Allen is a big fan of the paintings of, uh, of the guitarist from Guided by Voices from the 90s era, Dan. You'll be thrilled to really? know that bit of trivia. Yes, which divides the fans. Okay, the Chris, I think it's about time that you got a point. So here we go. What was interesting about Hank Kingsley's theme restaurant? Oh boy, Hank Kingsley's themed restaurant definitely had a... And obviously from the great uh, Larry Sanders show. From the Larry Sanders show. It wasn't revolving, but it was something... It had a, it had I mean, a very in, terrible gimmick. In a way, it was revolving. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember exactly. What was it? I thought you'd get this one for sure. Every table in the restaurant revolved. <laughs> yeah, yes that's so right. like so not, the tables not, all not together around. in like the unison but really the tables all just like <laughs> randomly just circle around each other oh that's very very good i think yeah, the entire season uh, was basically just hank telling stories about how the murders weren't working at his restaurants and in the final <laughs> episode of the season you go to the restaurant and you see everyone just like rolling past each other fantastic <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that was a terrible quiz, Dan. We have a terrible question left to go. Okay, great. Okay, let's see if you can redeem yourself. 
Which of these celebrities has never hosted a talk show? A, mm. Magic Johnson. B, Alf. C, Alan Thicke. Or D, Steve Goodenberg. And just for a bit of clarity, when I say Alf, I am, of course, talking about Gordon Shumway, the alien life form. Uh, I'm very familiar with the Alf talk show, so you're not going to get me there. Um, <laughs> who was the first one? Magic Johnson. Yeah, I'll go with Magic. Really? You don't remember 1998's The Magic Hour with Magic Johnson? <laughs> no, but I should have known. Like, he was extremely popular, so um, probably it probably was him. Alan Thicke definitely must have done one. I believe who, that show was, was called the, the, the Thick of the Night. Yeah, his, his show would have been amazing. And, and so what, who does that mean? What's the last one? Steve Goodenberg. Oh, Steve never got a show. Steve never got a show. Oh, boy. I read that amazing article about uh, Three Men and a Baby from the AV Club. Did you send that around? Yeah, that I was around. very. It was, um, it was so interesting how I'd forgotten how actually famous Gutenberg was for a few years there. Because oh, I guess that, that's why I wouldn't have been surprised. But like Cocoon was a big movie. He, he did some big proper movies. Yeah, like within about like three or four years, like he was in probably the biggest movies in Hollywood at the time. Yeah. And then just kind of faded away. Poor old Steve. But he had a good run. Uh, never got his own talk show though. And oh, consequently. Here's the thing about the question. I never actually looked up to see if he had. Like I presume. <laughs> I'm gonna Google Steve Gutenberg talk show. Because then surely I get a point by default. Look, absolutely. Look, if you can prove to me that he hosted a talk show <laughs> and it was his talk show, then I'll definitely give you the entire <coughs> Now I'd like to speaking of Steve Gutenberg. I'd like to yes. revisit the creator of WKRP in, in Cincinnati. So it was a guy named Hugh Wilson. In 1984, mm -hmm. his screenplay for a movie called Police Academy entertained the world, made Steve Gutenberg a star. What a criminal. Well, you're the criminal for not respecting Hugh Wilson. <laughs> I would probably like this show. I should actually, I'll, I'll, I'll try and watch it, Dan. I'm going to also ask every single person I come across this week whether they've ever heard of WKRP in Cincinnati and tell you how many of them say yes. So here's the thing with that show. It's one of these programs where they used a lot of music of the time, like really popular music. They didn't have the syndication rights to it. So it just kind of came and went and, you know, people haven't seen the show. Uh -huh. So, like, generationally, like, you and I are probably not going to have ever really watched the program. But you still thought it was fair to throw it at me. Well, I thought you? it was a well-known enough property that WKRP <laughs> was giving you a question on the level of what was the show in Frontline called? No, it's fair enough, fair enough. It was a great quiz, Dan. It made me think about a lot of fun shows and especially Northern Exposure, which I um, must, must look further into. There must be some great um, supercuts of just heaps of Chris in the Morning stuff. Uh, look, I actually pulled that audio off a supercut of Chris in the morning. Excellent. I look forward to going to sleep to that. Well, maybe I'll listen to it in the morning. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. I don't want the quiz to end, Dan. I mean, in a way, does the quiz ever leave our hearts? I'll have a good one for you next week. Rats of television. <laughs> rats of television. How many could there be? So you've got the rats from uh, Capital Critters which was the animated show set in DC from the 90s. You've got the rats from The Muppet Show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what other what is the name of there? the rat, the lead rat? Well, you got Rizzo Rat. Or Rizzo Rat. Yeah. And um, uh, there's a movie, Ratatouille. That's got rats in it. Yeah, but are we sticking to TV here or are we going to embrace movies? As oh, TVs and movies. Uh, yeah, movies as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about the Littles, but that they're not really quite rats. They're kind of humanoid with rat features. Stuart Little's a rat, isn't he? Surely. No, he's a mouse. Yeah, a mouse. Okay. Yeah, Michael J. Fox doesn't play a rat. How dare you? Chris Yates. Um, I, I think we've yeah. taken up enough time here. Yeah, I think we've been going for about three hours tonight on the podcast, but this that's is- all right. I, I've... I miss you, Dan, so it's nice to be able to catch up. This is hour four and a half. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Chris, this has been Always Be Watching, as you'd well know. If people enjoyed this podcast, check us out on the web, alwaysbewatching.com. You can subscribe to the newsletter, as many fine, attractive people have in the past. Uh, you can also find us on social media. Look for us. We're around. Well, I'm around. Chris is present. I'm on Facebook. Folks. Check us out. And speaking of Facebook, there's a group. You can talk to people about TV there. It happens each and every day. Well, I don't think it happened today, but other days it's happened. There was some talk about it today, and it was people agreeing with some of my opinions, Dan, just so, just so you know. Time to shut that group down. Anyway, folks, this has been Always Be Watching. <laughs> we'll be back next week with more watching and shenanigans involved in said watching. Afternoon, everybody. Oh. <laughs>